This podcast is brought to you by Living Waters Church, Kyabram. You can visit us at www.lwkyabram.com. Fantastic. Well, I've entitled my message tonight, Branded. Branded. Yep. Not Brandy. Not Brandon, but Branded. A few years ago, I, I saw some pictures of a disturbing thing that's happening in our nation and across the world. And because, you know, people are sick of tattoos now, so they're getting branded. And, and I looked at this and I thought, hey, that's got to really hurt. I don't know whether you've ever been branded by something and, and like, it, it hurts like when you get scorched. I, I had a time one day when I was doing some welding and um, I, I don't weld much. In actual fact, I don't weld at all uh, other than when I get that, you know, you know, blokes, we just got, sometimes we just got to build and we just got to do. And so brought myself a little welder and so I was welding some stuff and because me being me just forgot that it gets hot when you weld and, and so I went to move this thing and I picked it up. Exactly right. That was the sound. You know that sound of meat being fried on a fry pan? So I picked up and I went, like this. And it's like, ouchie. And if you get burnt too bad, it actually kills all the nerve endings in your skin and it can go beyond that point. And so what I did was I actually burnt all the ends of my fingers. And as a guitar player, that is not a good thing um, because it took me months to be able to play the guitar to a point where it's like it didn't hurt anymore and my fingers are actually still a little bit deformed on the end of my fingers and it's not from necessarily playing guitar, it's from being branded because it leaves a mark. And so branding is a powerful thing, not just the burning branding because, you know, if you're a horse, any horses here? No, I didn't think so. Glad you didn't bring your horse. You can bring your horse but you have to leave them in the car park. Um, so if, if, if you're a horse or a cow or um, a cattle, what will happen is often they will brand you so you know who you belong to. And so branding is a powerful thing. And in our business world and in our world in general, we understand that branding is important. Companies spend millions of dollars, not hundreds of dollars. Companies spend millions of dollars trying to establish their brand in the workplace, trying to establish their brand in society. And they do a great job. For example, if I was to say to you tonight, just do it, what do you think of? Nike. Why do you think of Nike? Because they have spent, honestly, they have spent billions of dollars getting that message out there. So every time I hear the words, just do it, it doesn't matter if it's just talking about shoes, doesn't matter what context it is, instantly in my brain, I get a little picture of a swoosh and I think of shoes. I think of a shirt. I think of a brand. Here's another one, finger licking good, KFC. Excellent. We're on the ball in the front here tonight. That's great. Finger licking good. And so, you know, as soon as you hear that saying, you instantly think of Kentucky Fried Chicken. Or if you don't, you've been hiding under a rock. Sometimes brands don't actually translate well across cultures. In Asia, the translation for finger licking good actually came out as eat your fingers off. And there's stores, I've seen pictures of Kentucky Fried Chicken stores where they've translated it finger licking good into the English through what they think it should be and it actually has the KFC symbol and it says eat your fingers off. I want to tell you if I go to a store and it says that I'm worried because I have barbecued my fingers 
and I certainly don't want to eat them off. Okay, here's another one. Lucky you're with Amy. Instantly, lucky you're with Amy. In actual fact, as soon as I say it, you'll probably see a picture of a girl with a white shirt and a red skirt pulling up to save the bloke who has to have his car thing done. You know, very smart ad. Lucky you're with Amy. Amy. Okay, here's another one. Aussie kids are wheat big kids. Now the younger ones went, ooh. Aussie kids are wheat big kids. As soon as I hear that saying, Aussie kids are, instantly I see a box of wheat bix and then I go on with their other branding stuff, like I hear Brett Lee going, how many do you do? <laughs> They're branding. It's powerful. Here's another one. Zoom, zoom. Mazda. Any Mazda owners in the house? I know there's some Mazda owners here. You should have been jumping up and down on that one. Zoom, zoom. Okay, here's an older one. Good on your mum. Good on your mum, Tim Dawson. How powerful is advertising? How powerful is their branding when you can have a statement and instantly you know what it is? Okay, here's another one. Not Happy Jan. Oh, very good. We do have some older people in the house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yellow Pages. I actually did this test. I ran through this list with uh, Pastor Lynette and um, that one she actually goes, I know what it is, but I don't know what it is. So I, I tricked her. <laughs> Doesn't happen too often. Okay, here's another one. Oh, what a feeling. Toyota. Toyota. And last one, taste the rainbow. Skittles, very good. All the sugar addicts go, I know that one well. So these companies have spent millions of dollars, probably billions of dollars, getting those slogans into your brain to a point where I actually had some logos I was going to show as well because it goes even beyond words. Like I want to tell you, when I see that little oval this way and oval that way, I instantly think of a Toyota. And, um, you know, com companies, not only do they set up branding, but when they change their logos and change their brands, it is an expensive exercise to do so. Kia has just changed their logo on their cars. And I was, we own a Kia, and so I know the Kia logo well. And I was driving behind a car a couple of years ago, and I went, what is that? What is that? Because they've changed their logo on the back of their car. And I had to actually look at it and go, oh, it's a Kia. They've changed their logo. Now, they are spending millions of dollars getting that logo into my brain now rather than the old logo. So in life and in our Christianity and in our humanity, it is really important you know who you are. Why? Because if you don't know who you are, then you will be tempted to be pressed into a mould that doesn't suit you. Now that saying, round peg in a square hole, or square peg in a round hole? If you're a Christian and you're living a life of sin and living in rebellion to God, you are a round peg in a square hole. It doesn't fit. It, because our brand is not that. There's a moment in life where you can taste, and I've seen some YouTube videos of this, where it's like they will have hidden containers and they will have drinks in it and people will need to guess what the drink is. And so there is a difference between drinking Pepsi Cola and drinking Coca-Cola. Now the debate will rage which one's better, but there's a taste, there's a taste that is very significant with both. You know, people who drink 
exclusively Coke, they will drink Pepsi and go, ooh. In actual fact, I've been to restaurants where they've gone, we've only got Pepsi, and I said, well, I've only got Monopoly money. Does that count? <laughs> you give me the fake, I'll give you the fake, because we know which one's better, do we not? A couple agree. <laughs> See, we understand that if we don't work out who we are, and if we don't understand the kingdom of God, if we don't understand what God has created us to be, what God has branded us to be, then the temptation will be when something shiny comes along, we'll go, oh, look at that, look at that. One of my, well, it's not really one of my favourite movies, but there's a moment in um, Up. Anyone like the movie Up? You know, there, there's a moment in, in that movie that I relate to so well as a sanguine, as someone who gets distracted really well, and that is when the squirrel stuff comes in. Where it's like the dogs will be so focused on something, squirrel! If we're not like that, we can be like that in our Christianity. We are meant to be this, but something shiny comes and it's like, ooh. The counterfeit comes and so it's like, ooh. Maybe I'll just try that. Heard a statement this week and I love it. It, it was this and I had a conversation with a few people this week about this, talking about where the, green is, uh, the grass is greener. Because where is the grass greener? It's not on the other side. The grass is greenest where you water it where you tend it and where you care for it. Because I want to tell you, this is the trick of the enemy, is that there's something better out there than what you're living. Original sin, Eve, Adam, there's something better out there than what God has presented to you. He's given you the whole garden to enjoy except for one tree. And the devil comes, yeah, but that one tree could be good. You don't know what you're missing. That one tree might actually set you up for the rest of your life. Why don't you partake of the forbidden tree? Because God doesn't understand you. God doesn't understand your heart. God doesn't understand those things that he's placed in you. He doesn't understand your purpose. And so if you do this, then you will understand your purpose better than God. That's what the devil basically said to Adam and Eve. And they went, rightio, bring it on, bring it on. And so if we don't understand who we are, then the temptation is that we will get pressed into the latest mould and whatever comes along. Let's go to Daniel chapter 1. I'm going to preach out of Daniel tonight. Daniel chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. It says, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and, and Azariah were four men of, uh, were four of the young men chosen from all the tribe of Judah. Now, when we read that out of context, we think, beauty. When we read it out of context, we think, here's four guys that have got chosen. I, I like being chosen for things. I do. I, I, I like being chosen. I, I used to hate that schoolyard game that we used to play where you had to pick sides. And everyone's lining up and, you know, you're looking at the dirt going, oh, please pick me. And you know that if your friend was the captain, you're like, beauty, I'm in. I'm in because the peer group pressure starts. Instead of looking at the ground, you're staring them in the eye and you're saying, if you don't pick me, I'm going to kill you. If you leave me till last, I'm going to get you. I don't care if I'm absolutely hopeless at this game, but just pick me. Just pick me. And so you have these four men who are picked. The problem for these four men was that they were brought out of their godly culture and they were chosen by an invading force to be placed into a new culture so that they could learn a new culture 
and they could be indoctrinated by a new culture. So instead of living the Jewish life which they had, they were meant to live the Babylonian life. Verse 7, the chief of staff renamed them. Look at what happened. So you've got Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah were four young men chosen from all the tribe of Judah. The chief um, of staff renamed them. He rebranded them. He gave them another name. Daniel was called Belshazzar. Hananiah was called Shadrach. Mishael was called um, Meshach. And Azariah was called Abednego. Now, we know those branded names so well. Why? Because we have been taught the branded names rather than their original names. So these four men were taken from their homes and forced into a culture that they didn't belong. Does this sound familiar to anyone? Like, honestly... My Christianity is not the culture of the world. My belief is so different some days to the culture of the world that I feel like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego some days. Where it's like, see the attempt was this, was to reshape who they were. The attempt was to take these four men and reshape them And if we lack understanding of who we are in Christ, it is easy for society, it is easy for the world to reshape us. Pastor Jim said it this morning, if the men were paying attention at the the men's breakfast, where he says, often our values are given to us by our family upbringing and our culture. I want to tell you, a lot of my culture, that it's because of my family upbringing, but also the culture I live in. The things, some of the things that are okay and some of the things that aren't okay in my life are purely due to culture. It's interesting, we have um, Katrina and her kids living in our house at the moment and we had a conversation this morning actually, with, or I had a conversation this morning with some of the kids because they were talking about, um, there's a, our wedding picture is on the wall and they go, is that you and Pastor, or is that Pastor Trevor and Lynette? And I said, yes it is. They go, you were very young which means they think I'm very old, (laughs) the underlying thing. (laughs) And I said, yes, I was 21 when I got married and Pastor Lynette was 20. And the kids went, really? Really? You were young? Because in their culture, you don't actually become an adult till 21. And so in their eyes, Lynette was a child when she married me, which makes her a child bride in their culture in their culture, not in our culture. And so cultures, I saw it in their eyes as soon as I said it because I knew because I'd had the conversation with Katrina a few days earlier about the whole when does someone become an adult in their culture. And as soon as I said Lynette was 20, you could see their eyes went boing. It didn't compute with them because they still thought that she was a kid and not an adult. Isn't it interesting how you can be 17 and 364 days old, and you're a kid, but when you turn 18, all of a sudden you're an adult. It's a cultural thing. It's a cultural thing. And so if we lack understanding of who we are in Christ, if we lack understanding of the brand that he's put upon us, then other pressures will take over. Let's keep reading. Verse 8, because this is Daniel's response. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. So here's the problem for Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. There was a confrontation of belief. Babylon, 
eat this. Their culture that they were given by God said you can't eat this sort of food. Now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. But he responded, I am afraid of my Lord, the king, who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale, thin, compared to other youths your age, I am afraid the king will behead me. Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. At the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in the light of what you see. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier, better nourished than the young men who had been eating food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of food and wine provided for the others. God gave these four men unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel this special ability to interpret the meaning of visions and dreams. When the training period ordered by the king was complete, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than the other magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. Daniel remained in the royal service until the first year of the reign of King um, Osiris. So Daniel was able to make a stand because our problem in our culture is what happens when godly culture confronts ungodly culture. What do we do? We face it every day. Young people in school, every day you face it. I face it, honestly, church, even working as a minister, I face it almost on a daily basis. This confrontation between what the world will want to mould us into and what God has called us to be, what he has destined us to be. And so Daniel, it's really important we understand this, Daniel was able to make a stand but with respect. Because I want to tell you now, if you don't respect those people who have been put above you, when you go to see them and when you go to um, partition them on things, they will just not listen. I have a really good relationship with our local politicians. Honestly, I, I have a great relationship. Just this week, there was a matter that I wanted to speak to Peter Walsh about, who's our local politician when it comes to Victoria. Right? And so what I did was I rang his office and I said, is Peter available? And they said this, they said, it's Parliament week, he won't be available this week. I said, that's fine, no problems, can you get him to ring me next week? Because I've got some stuff I want to talk to him about. Well, two hours later, the phone rings, I pick it up and it's Peter. And I said, oh, Peter, I wasn't expecting you to ring me until next week after Parliament. And he just said this. He goes, oh, it's been a bit of a slack day here today. I had some time, and so I thought I would give you a ring back. That doesn't just happen. 
That happens because I've had a number of conversations with Peter over the journey of my time back here in Kyabram, and I've even said things like this. Some of my people have written you letters that aren't good. I want to apologise for that. I said, but there's other times I've told them to write to you and to bug you and to pester you over issues. And he goes, that's good, that's good. See, we can do it, but we have to do it in a way of respect because then what happens is we gain favour, we gain favour. You know, I'm not surprised that our politicians don't want to listen to us some days because of some of the things that we say about them. So Daniel was able to make a stand, but with respect. Verse 9 actually tells us, and I'm going to read it for you, it says this, Now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. See, there was a moment where it was like the chief of staff, actually there was something in his heart started to stir. And if I reckon if Daniel just sort of said, no, we're not going to eat it, I reckon if Daniel would have said, no, we're going on a hunger strike, if Daniel would have said, no, we're not doing it, if he would have done it another way, then God would be going, come on, favour for him, favour for him, but the attendant's heart would have been hardened because of his response. So make a stand. Oh, we need to make stands, but we need to do it in a way that's respectful. So our stand, point number whatever we're up to because I haven't given you any points. Let's go point number two. Number one, have to stand with respect. Point number two. Our stand will bring a test for our life. Whenever you stand for something, guess what? Test is coming. Whenever you stand for something, a test will come. You know, there's that saying, you stick your head out of the trench, guess what's going to happen? It's going to get shot at. And so there's this moment where it's like, our stand will bring a test. And oh, don't we love tests? It's very quiet in here. Don't we love tests? Oh, no. I hate tests. Like The tests are just those things... I, I have a problem in my life. I get nervous when it comes to a test. And I'll be sitting there and I'll go, I know the answer, but my nerves have got the better of me that I've shaken it out of me. <laughs> it, it's like, you know, and, and I hate those moments where it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's a test. And so it's like, well, what if I fail? What if I don't know the answer? And the truth is none of us really like tests. But the good thing about tests is it actually shows us what's real and what's not. It actually shows us the quality of that thing we're testing. Gold, for example. You can do a test that's really simple for gold where you get a piece of gold, you rub it on a piece of paper and then you put some, uh, some chemicals on it and depending on the purity of the gold, it will actually tell you what carrot it is. That's amazing when you think about it. So if I get my ring, which is gold, and I rub it on a piece of paper and put that on, guess how many carrots it's going to come up with? It's going to come up with nine carrots. Because any bloke who buys a ring that's any more than nine carats obviously never does any work in their life because the ring will just fall apart after a while because you've got to buy that. I was, told, I was actually told in my marriage counselling to buy a ring that was nine carat because um, otherwise they just wear away over time. And if I want to be married any length of time and keep the ring, then what I have to do is I have to buy something that's a bit harder than something that's a bit soft. And so the test actually comes, not only show whether it's gold, but to show the purity and the quality of the gold. So our stand will bring tests to our life. So the first test that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego faced was a test of faith. So when you stand, your faith will be tested. Now we understand, if you've been in church any amount of time, we understand the fire test that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego went through. The other night out at the bonfire, 
you know, someone was, I, was, I can't remember who I was standing next to or sitting next to, they said to me, I'm expecting Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego to come walking out of the fire. I actually turned to them and said, I don't think that's going to happen. Just, you know, I was pretty confident <laughs> that it wasn't going to happen. But, but, you know, it was like this huge fire and it's like, you know, their test was one of faith. Let's go to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3, and we're going to read from verse 1 onwards. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall nine, uh, and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He sent messages to the high officials, officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officers to come to dedicate the statue he had set up. So all the officials came and stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. The herald shouted, People of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's demand. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. At the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their races or nation or language, bowed to the ground and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, Long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all people to bow down and worship the gold statue when you heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harps, pipes, and other musical instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. So they were brought in. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my God or worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance. Test of faith. I will just give you one more chance. Here's another go to compromise your faith. Here's another chance to compromise your faith. I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I've made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? So you've got Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. They're from this culture. They're from this brand. They've been brought into a new brand a new culture, and there's a moment when because of their stand, because of their faith, there is a test of faith coming for them. Now, they didn't say things like this. Well, O king, you said that when the flute, the zither, the trumpet, the horn, the etc., etc. played, I didn't hear the zither. I didn't hear the horn. 
Maybe I was misunderstood. No, when the heat came on, before the heat was applied, they still stood strong. And I love Nebuchadnezzar's response. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? I want to say they understood their brand. They understood who they were. They understood that the God they served was far much greater than some gold statue, was so much greater than some stone idol. They understood who they were. And so their test of faith or their stand actually caused their faith to be tested. Can I just give you a little encouragement? As believers in our nation and believers in our world, our faith is going to be tested more and more as the day draws nearer to Jesus' return. You might say, oh, Pastor Trevor, is that a prophetic word? No, I've read the Bible. Don't need to be prophetic to let you know that. Just need to read the Bible. Because the Bible says this, that as the day draws near to Jesus' return, that greater trouble will come. In actual fact, he says this in the Bible. He says, even the elect will turn away. Even the, you know those people we put up in pedestals in our Christianity? Because we do it. I mean, I, I, I have friends that have traveled all over the world to listen to particular speakers because they've got it. They have it. I want to tell you, they have the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Yes, but so do we. So do we. And so we need to understand that when we make a stand, that our faith will be tested. Will be tested. So the second test that these men faced was a test of fire. So to cut a very long story a little bit shorter, basically what happened was they said, well, even if you throw us into the furnace, our God has the ability to deliver us. They said that. What a great faith statement. But they also said this, even if he doesn't deliver us, we still won't bow down to your stinking idol. I don't know whether it says stinking idol, but I, I can imagine that's what was in their heart. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, O majesty. But, oh, but even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, we will never serve your God or worship the gold statue you have set up. I want to tell you, this threw Nebuchadnezzar into a rage. This threw Nebuchadnezzar into such a rage that he ordered the furnace to be seven times hotter. Seven times hotter. That, this furnace was so hot that the men that led these four blokes to the furnace dropped dead with the radiant heat before they got there. That's a hot fire. The other night at the bonfire, I had to do the bonfire shuffle. It was like after a while I had to move my chair back a little bit because I felt like I was getting sunburned, but it was night. And then I had to move my chair back a little bit more and then I had to sit on the side because that was a big bonfire. It was like, it was cranking. There was logs like this big in there and, and they were glowing red. They were, it was seven times hotter than any bonfire I've ever been to. So Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego understood their brand. They understood who they were. They understood their God. They made that statement, well, God can deliver us, but even if he won't, the glory and the relief here on this earth is not worth the pain of the pain to come. So, talking about branding, Shadrach, what was his name originally? 
Hananiah, good people for taking notes. So Shadrach, or Hananiah, his name, Hananiah, actually means this, God who is gracious. What a name. Can you imagine? I mean, as a parent, can you imagine? Your little cherub, your little angel is playing up. God who is gracious, get here. Oh, hang on. God who is gracious, come here. I reckon it would be hard to be angry at Hananiah. You know, because as parents, we get angry. And I've got a message I'm preparing and a message I'm doing about how, you know, what happened was I actually read an article just a couple of weeks ago and the article was entitled this, The Day Jesus Lost His Cool. And it was, the, it was talking about when he went into the temple and flipped over the money changers' tables. And as soon as I read it, I thought he didn't lose his cool. He was in total control of what he did. In actual fact, he was very measured in what he did. And so I've actually got a, a, um, a message burning in my heart how we can be angry, we've just got to sin not, because there's a difference. Not all anger sin. And so here's Hananiah, God who is gracious. But you've got to remember that what they did was that they renamed him. And so um, what, what they renamed him to Shadrach, which means the command of um, Aku, who was a god. He was the moon god. And so what Nebuchadnezzar did was that he took him from being someone who was spoken about as God who was gracious and named him after the moon god or the command of the moon god. And then you have um, Meshach or Mishael. His name, his original name, Mishael, means who is like God. What a great name. Who is like God. He was reminded continually because of the brand that was put upon him by his parents. And every time there was a statement about him, it was like, well, who is like God? And what happened was his new name is who is, who is, um, hang on, I've got to find it here first, who is Aku or who is the moon god? That was the, the meaning of his new name. And, and then, you know, um, then you have Abinigo who is Azariah, his original name, Azariah, means God has helped. And so what happened was his new name actually means this, servant of Nabu, who was a god. He was the, um, the Babylonian god of wisdom. And so what Nebuchadnezzar did was Nebuchadnezzar understood the power of the brand. He understood the power of a name. And so he captured the people, and immersed them in a culture. But one of the things he did was he threw away their old identity and tried to give them a new identity. Our problem is this, is it works reverse in our life because we are born into sin. We are born into sin. And so it's not until you become born again that Jesus actually comes into your life and saves you and then he rebrands you. And so for us in today's society and in modern church, it actually works opposite. Where it's like we are born into sin. That's what we know. Any parent here had to teach your kids how to sin? Just come natural. Now the truth is you did teach them how to sin because we tell them lies and then we laugh it off. So you have this problem. Hananiah, what are they going to do? When the challenge of faith, when the trial of faith, when the trial of fire comes... What are they going to believe? What are they going to believe? Because imagine this. You've got Nebuchadnezzar saying to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, 
if you don't bow to the idol, I'm going to throw you in the fire. I can imagine them turning to each other and having this conversation. Well, come on, God, who is gracious, what do you think? You think about it. Because they're not calling each other by their new names because they understand that that's not who they are. Come on, God, who is gracious, what do you think? Do you think we should go? Well, I don't know who is like God. What do you think? (laughs) Come on, church. Well, I don't know. What do you think? God has helped. What should we do? Should we bow to the moon god? Should we bow to the God of Babylonian wisdom or should we stay true to who we are? They understood that when the pressing of their identity come, when the trial of faith and the trial of fire come, that a coup couldn't help them at all. No moon God was going to help them. Why? Because he didn't exist. They understood this, that they needed to stay true to their call and true to who they were because it's in that identity. And actually, I reckon these might have even gone like this. Come on, God who is gracious, let's get in the fire. Two, who is like God, get moving. Come on, God who has helped, let's go to the fire. It changes perspective when we understand what God has for us. So I just want to finish with this thought tonight. The fire is not always bad. The fire is not, we shrink back from fire unless we're cold, then we embrace it. But I want to tell you that I've actually got a whole message about the fact that the fire isn't bad because there's some stuff that happened in these um, three men's lives that the fire did that nothing else could do. You know, just the fact that by the time they got out of the fire, they didn't even smell like smoke. You stand around a bonfire and try to go home not smelling like smoke. It's impossible. It's a universal principle that doesn't matter where you stand, the smoke shall follow you. Yeah, doesn't matter. They've actually done scientific experiments to find out why that is. And what happens is because of the, your shape and that, the wind actually attracts the smoke back to you. It's amazing. And so I've always gone home from a bonfire smelling like smoke. And secretly, I love it. There's nothing like burning red gum. <laughs> it's nothing like it. So the only thing I want to focus on tonight, because like I said, there's a whole message in this, was this, is the fire isn't always bad because for these three young men, they got a fresh revelation of who God was. They got a fresh revelation of who God was. Not because they stood, not because they confronted a culture. They got a fresh revelation of who God was because they went into the fire. I want to tell you, I've never been in a fire to start with, in that, and I've never had... God walk with me in the fire. They got to commune with God in a new way that no one else did. They got to walk with God in the fire. There's a moment, and we don't have time to look at it fully tonight, but, but you can look it up when you get home if you want to read the rest of the story where it's like Nebuchadnezzar looked in and because the, all, all the people were going, hang on a minute, didn't we put three people in the fire? Why is there four? And why are they walking around? And why are they dancing? And why are they singing that song that we sing? Another in the fire. Where it came from, they wrote it, I'm sure. They got a fresh revelation of who God was. Why? Because they were willing to go through the fire. Not only did they get a fresh revelation of who God was, their true names became real to them. You think about it, their true names became real to them. In the middle of the fire, they understood. They didn't just hear the words, God is gracious. They experienced it. Oh, come on, church. Some of you need to be more excited about this than what you are at the moment 
because you're in the middle of a fire and you're going, God, I don't like this fire. But I want to tell you, you will experience God in a new way. You'll experience him as a God who's gracious in the fire, not out of the fire. You'll know that he's gracious out of the fire, but you'll only experience the truth of it when you're actually going through the fire and you need his grace. Who is like God? It went from just being a name to being an experience. God who helped went from being a title, a name, to actually being there moment by moment, day by day walk. And I can imagine that years later, years later, someone might come up to Shadrach and go, you know what, God doesn't care. And he'd say, no, he walks with you in fire. And they'd say, well, old man, what do you know? Oh, come on. That old man knows because he's actually been in the fire and he's experienced it. So not only did they able to hear about God, but they understood. Not only did they say, well, you know, because their statement is this, Nebuchadnezzar, God is able, but even if he's not wanting to, we're not going to bow down to the idol. And so at the end, at the end of it, they, get, they walk out of the fire and go, that was pretty good. That was pretty great. That was pretty awesome. That was pretty wonderful. God is gracious. He is our help. He, he is who he says he is. So from that moment on, from that moment on, no one could say to Shadrach, God doesn't care. He would stand up and say, no, 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 he's more than able. No one could say to um, Mishael at the end of it that God doesn't care or provide for us. He'd say, no, 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 I've seen the deliverance of my God firsthand. You know, no one could say to Abinigo in the end of it, well, God's not worth following. He'd say, no, he is worth following. Why? Because he'll take you to the fire, but he'll also take you through the fire. Excellent. Let's all stand up. Hey, before we sing this song, hey, Jesus, we just want to thank you because of your care for us. Well, you don't just walk us to the fire. You actually walk with us in the fire. And so, Lord, I thank you for your care for us. And, Lord, tonight as every eye is closed, Lord, and believers are praying in this moment, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. In those areas where we've been pressed into a mold that displeases you, Lord, I pray that there would be a release from that in our heart that we would let go of those things, that we would choose and that we would understand that when we make a stand, there's often a test of faith. You know, the last three years or two and a half years, I've had to say to a number of people, well, you've spoken about faith for years, now you've got to live it because of circumstance that was happening in their life. So, Lord, we pray tonight that not only will we know that you're our help, that you are gracious, Lord, not only will we know, Lord, that you are God, Lord, but we would experience it moment by moment, day by day. Lord, we wouldn't shrink back from those things that you've called us to do and to be. Lord, but we would rise up, Lord, Lord, and be the people you've called us to be. So I, every eye's closed. What I want you to do is I want you to say this prayer after me. And this is simply a prayer for salvation. So if everyone in the room can say this, if you're watching online, I encourage you to say this as well if you don't believe, if you're still trying to work out who God is. I'd encourage you to give him a chance, give him opportunity. So simply pray this prayer after me. Dear Heavenly Father, 
I want to thank you tonight for the sacrifice of your son. I repent of all my sin, of all the wrongdoing I've done. And I turn to you tonight as Lord and Saviour of my life. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would fill me afresh, that you would fill me with boldness and with power, that I would be able to walk before my God in a way that would honour him in my actions and words. So I thank you, Jesus, for your salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're in this building tonight and you've said that for the first time or maybe it's been a rededication, I'd love for you to hunt me out after the service and, and just um, let me know that. But if you're also online, there's a contact page on our website that you could contact us. We would love to have contact with you if you've made that decision as well tonight. And so that's why we're doing things a little bit different in this season when it comes to that prayer not just raising hands and that because we understand there could be people online that also need salvation as well. Hey, we're going to sing this song, do it again. If you want prayer tonight, I encourage you to come out the front while we sing this and someone who cares for you will stand with you and pray. Thank you for listening to today's podcast from Living Waters Church, Kyabram. Don't forget, you can find us at www.lwkyabram.com.